Welcome to the Proud to be Profane podcast, your initiation into the ways of the square to resurrect the wretch and pee on the all-seeing pyramid of Illuminati enlightenment. And now, here's your host, Mr. Michael Joseph. Welcome to the Proud to be Profane podcast. Welcome back to episode 21. We're going to do another history segment, even though I was planning on trying to incorporate some of the other sub-segments, but I think that this work we will be discussing today, the memoirs illustrating the history of Jacobinism by the French Jesuit Augustin Baruel, is incredibly important for our troubled times, and anybody who has some sort of interest in the alternative media or quote-unquote conspiracy theory and of course at rockstaresoterica.com we have begun a schism 206 research series utilizing this very book as our foundation and we will broadly summarize what is contained in the book and we will go into the first two in this podcast the anti-christian and anti-monarchical conspiracies and we'll do one more podcast to get into the Bavarian Illuminati and some other peripheral issues. But, having said that, if you want to go through the book and absorb the wealth of information contained within it, which exposes in so many ways a myriad of things that are very relevant to all the problems we struggle with today, but you don't want to go through the 850 pages and all of the big fancy words and the long-ass sentences, Well, you can do that in the members section. But if you want it all condensed to a couple hours and a couple podcasts, you can do that here as well. And this will be especially useful for anybody out there who keeps hearing things like, the Jesuits are the Illuminati. They created Freemasonry. They're responsible for the French Revolution and all the bad things ever in the world. But you will find out that that very notion only helps the conspirators themselves or the successors of its traditions, which you could argue infiltrated the Jesuits sometime in the mid-20th century. So if you've succumbed to this propaganda yourself, it's okay. There's a lot of it going around. But you don't want to be stuck in that ignorance now, do you? So if you want to shed this Saturnine lead of the Jesuit conspiracies tied to the Illuminati, Well, perhaps the next few episodes might be illuminating. Welcome to episode 21. And we're going to discuss Mr. Augustin Barwell's Memoirs of Jacobinism. And I think that this book is incredibly important For anybody who considers themselves a truth seeker, which for me at this point is kind of a redundant, empty term, but despite its broad ambiguity, I think we can define it as people who are willing to admit that something is not exactly right in the world and our current system of Western democracy, and this book might help explain a lot of it. But alas, this Western democracy that we are a part of is going to tell you that this book is a conspiracy theory, and it's stupid, and you should never look at it, and it was written by some crazy Catholic Jesuit who was just fighting for his old world religion that's been debunked as stupid and superstitious. Well, we're going to see the people who brought you that propaganda, and you can decide for yourself whether or not you want to continue believing that, and even if you don't have any love for Roman Catholicism or Christianity in general, but you are promoting Enlightenment principles as the way to be, the alternative, well, I don't think that that's going to go so well for you either, because if you at least can find some truth in the parable of the tree and its fruit as given by Christ in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Well, perhaps it is the enlightenment tree that is rotten and producing rotten fruit. And if the initial 
seed of this tree was conceived in enmity and hatred and hypocrisy, well, what does that say about the rest of it and its fruit hundreds of years later, which we are seeing coming to fruition? And perhaps this has some sort of correspondence to the 1776 Pluto return that is going on in the United States today, where the dark, ugly truth of this Enlightenment Ouroboros serpent, which was literally their symbol on the Declaration of the Rights of Man, is becoming much more apparent, and the latest skin that has been shed and the new birthing of the Serpent of Revolution are the crazy SJWs and Antifa, but everyone wants to go back to the 1950s before all that ugly stuff happened, but is that just going back to a previous incarnation of the Serpent with Wasp America that was still built upon the same things. So can you really go back to the previous serpent when you're just going to get another one taking its place that's going to react and devour the previous one? So with that being said, let's get into the first book, The Anti-Christian Conspiracy, and in the second hour we will get into The Anti-Monarchical Conspiracy, which contains some of the more fun, esoteric, occult, secret society stuff. But there's going to be plenty of interesting things in this first hour coming from Voltaire and his homeboys. And of course, in another episode, we will get into the Bavarian Illuminati, because that's probably the more famous group that is exposed by Augustine Barwell's memoirs. And in that Illuminati episode, we will talk a bit more about the accusations or polemics against Barwell's works and the things that are said to discredit it, also some of his responses and then some of the stranger things going on around Barwell after with things like the Simonini letter and all that good stuff. So these are all things to come. But for now, let's get into the anti-Christian conspiracy. So, Mr. Augustine Barwell starts off talking about the unholy trinity, so to speak, of the conspirators being Voltaire, Frederick the Great, and Jean-Laurent d'Alembert. And he gives Denis Diderot an honorable mention. Also, some other important figures, Mr. Condorcet, Mr. Mirabeau, Mr. Philip Equality, or Egalité, you know you're about the people when you change your name to Mr. Equality. Hell, maybe I should do that. You're going to call me Mikey Equality from now on because I care so much about everybody's individual equal rights. And there are certainly other figures that are important, but those are the ones that I can recall off the top of my head. And what we're going to do is just browse through some examples from the conspirators' own writings. So, if people want to say Barwell's biased, he's an evil, sly Jesuit who's worshipping the dark Osiris, or all these things that people say about the Jesuits in the alternative media and truth or world, as you call it, let's slice out all of that superstitious Dark Ages commentary from Barwell and just read from what these conspirators say on their own. And maybe... Just maybe you'll see that there's been a scapegoat ritual trick where you project everything, all the problems of the world, onto the Catholic Church and especially the Jesuits, at least the ones during this time before the more modern versions took over and give us the abominations that are in the Catholic hierarchy today, especially coming from the Father James Martins of the world. So beginning, there's actually a quote from a Jesuit who was Voltaire's teacher, named Jesuit Leger, who said, Unfortunately, young man, you at some point in the future will come to be the standard bearer of infidelity. So remember that quote, because as we go through and read Voltaire's writings and his inspirations to all of these others and the reflections back, you might see that this Jesuit was actually right. And one thing that must be mentioned at the start is that Voltaire 
and D'Alembert and Frederick the Great all had some rough childhoods in different ways. Voltaire had some family issues, especially with his father. D'Alembert was dropped off at a Catholic church by his mother who abandoned him, and since this mother was also one of the Salonist types and contributors to the Enlightenment propaganda in the encyclopedia, well, she's part of this liberal tradition, and I would say if she had done this in the modern times, she would have just ended up having an abortion. And the unfortunate irony of Mr. D'Alembert, or Jean Laurent, whose name, because it was the namesake of the small church where he was abandoned and dropped off, and he was raised by the Catholic Church, even though his mother, who was a promoter of the Enlightenment principles, was the one who abandoned him. So isn't it strange that he rebels against Catholicism as being the problem, and not the Enlightenment principles of which his mother was promoting? Funny how that works. And Mr. Frederick the Great had a different upbringing, where he was brought up in the aristocracy in order to someday become king, but his father was a bit abusive. Now he's coming from a more Protestant upbringing, and his irony is that he wants to flee to France to get away from his abusive father, but that's Catholic France, and then he's going to conspire against it to destroy it. So these are two strange contradictions. Now I understand that he's probably fleeing to France because of the Enlightenment stuff that was being promoted there, but the point is, are the living conditions and the society a result of Catholic empire? And that is the linking factor of Protestantism and Freemasonry and the Ouroboros shedding its skin, but at its core, it is always fundamentally anti-Catholic, anti-Old World Christendom. And we'll find Freddie the Great talking a lot about peace, trying to live in peace with people, yet he's kind of seen as a warmonger historically. And this encapsulates Mr. Freddie in a nutshell. He's very bipolar. And from what I understand, modern scholarship believes Freddie to be a homosexual. And this is interesting because the Nazis were always appealing to Frederick the Great as being this grand hero yet they were rounding up homosexuals and putting labels on them. So there's an interesting instance where they don't have a problem overlooking that. And similar to this, Mr. Voltaire makes fun of the Jesuits for being homosexuals and child molesters in his propaganda, but it's very subtle, it's very crafty. And he doesn't have a problem mooching off the court of Freddy the Great, but of course, when Mr. Freddy gets a little upset with Voltaire, he gives him a spanking of sorts and orders him to be caned. And then Voltaire starts getting pissy about Freddy and even blames him for seducing Voltaire to come to Prussia and saying he thought he was an enlightened philosopher king and then look what he's doing to me. Oh, poor me. But actually, he was lucky to be able to go there because he kept getting kicked out of everywhere because he couldn't behave himself. But of course, this is the enlightened rebel who is standing up to the evil demiurge establishment, right? That is the modern narrative here. But perhaps the other irony is that this beginning of the liberal tradition, where they're using homosexuality to bash the Catholic Church and the Jesuits... Well, now we have the tradition that is fighting for these very rights of which Voltaire was using as an insult. But of course, they will make the excuse that, well, he didn't know at the time, we've evolved, we've understood things differently, and at least he was fighting injustice, right? That's what people say about Martin Luther, and many people just completely ignore his anti-Semitic works despite being in a world where anti-Semitism is one of the gravest quote-unquote sins that you could commit. And usually that will be ignored or downplayed, and what is propped up is his rebellion against the evil Catholic Church and all of its debauchery and its greedy, worldly thinking, right? But then out of the Protestant tradition stems capitalism, which all the liberals today will rail against like it's the most evil thing, yet they participate in it. 
as long as the corporations talk a big game about going green, then the capitalism is all of a sudden just fine. And it's probably worth mentioning that Voltaire got a lot of his ideas while he was exiled in Britain. And this is one of those things that's a little tricky because Barwell will exonerate the English Masons to some degree during the bulk of the book, but at the end he changes his tune and he actually starts identifying them as the source of the problem because of their inability to condemn the crazy Jacobin Frankenstein monster that he thinks they created. And so thus, the creator of this monster can't bring itself to condemn its ugly creation. And ironically, is that more appropriate to the Gnostic story of Sophia being applied to the Enlightenment principles as the evil demiurge, the evil creator of all of this destruction, chaos, and polarity, and not the Catholic Church of which they project it onto as being just that. And the other irony of this is, of course, that the dualism and Manichaeanism which we found in the Cathars in the previous video will be well represented in the occult degrees of this masonry and will even find allusions to the Cathars in terms of romanticizing about its rebellion against the Catholic Church. So now that we've given the backdrop, set the stage, so to speak, let's start reading through some of the quotes themselves. Here's a gem from Mr. Voltaire written to D'Alembert. He says that in his war being waged on Christianity, he'd prefer to, quote, die on a heap of Christians immolated at his feet. That's a lovely image. So he's willing to die for this struggle, but when he does, he hopes a lot of Christians burn below him. Now, some might say he's being poetic, but is that the typical liberal excuse where you throw any degenerate or bad thing into art and you just call it expression? You call it allegory. You call it philosophy. You give it all these nice words to try to disguise it from the ugly, hateful beast that it actually is and then project all that onto the Catholic Church as being the bigots and the haters. Does this sound familiar with what's going on in America today? Everyone else is the fascist. Everyone else is the hater. Everyone else is the racist, anti-Semite, and love Trump's hate. But when you can redefine love at the drop of a hat, just like you can redefine your gender identity based upon your feelings that day, well, I don't know what to tell you. But we're seeing patterns and seeds of this early on in this Enlightenment revolt. Let's go to Mr. Freddy, whom the philosophes call the Enlightened Solomon of the North, and we'll see how enlightened he is with his bipolarity here. At one point, he says that Christianity yielded nothing but poisonous weeds, and Mr. Voltaire congratulates him as having the fortitude of an enlightened philosopher-prince to say with sufficient perspicacity, well, that sounds like an enlightened word right there, to see that for 1,700 years past, the Christian sect has never done anything but harm. So enlightenment to Voltaire is admitting that Christianity has never produced anything good whatsoever, despite him getting all of his education from the Jesuits who gave him his writing skills and all of his literary tools to basically rebel against it. Thus, repeating the story of Satan in the Bible, rebelling and wanting to be like the Most High, and inciting a lot of others to do it in their foolish pride and arrogance. But alas, Mr. Freddy reneges on this statement at some point, and he starts talking about how amazing the Gospels are for teaching morality, and that anybody who is going to calumniate the Christian religion and impute failings to which it has not, well, he's going to say, how can you be against these truths that are found in the Gospels, such as the Sermon on the Mount and the morality and charity and humanity that is taught? What could be found reprehensible in the morals of the Ten Commandments? So all of a sudden, Freddy just flips the switch, and he's back on the Christian train, 
although he says that sometimes men abuse this and they conceal their self-interest under a veil of religion, which I think everyone can agree with. But then all of a sudden he switches back again and says that the fine arts and higher sciences of the Enlightenment Masonic deism will fall if the rust of superstition is allowed to continue. So basically, if Catholic Christendom is allowed to continue, the types of enlightened people whom Frederick deems amiable and born for society will be suppressed. And what a tragedy that would be. But, Barowell says, did the monarch foresee the events which led to the Jacobins, of which tell a different story about the types of society that is brought about? And let's hearken back to the introduction by Mr. Stanley Jockey, an historian, who mentions a Madame Roland, or Marie-Jean Manon Roland de la Platière, and she was a French revolutionary, and she was one of the Masonic ladies in the salons, yucking it up with the Enlightenment philosophy. But when the French Revolution broke out, she saw the Ouroboros serpent in its true skin, shedding itself from this lovely, enlightened-sounding exterior. And apparently, how she described it, and remember, she was a revolutionary herself, so she is tied to these principles, and she's admitting what they actually lead to here, that women were brutally violated before being torn to pieces by those tigers, intestines cut out and worn as turbans, bleeding human flesh devoured. And here there's other accounts described where one of the women who was a friend of the queen had a decapitated head of hers being paraded around below the palace. Another female victim was finished off with a fire lit between her distended legs. So, the modern liberals in their feminist equality progressive tradition, well, here's your roots. Here is the seed of which your tree grew into, and it was brutally violating women, lighting fires between their legs and ripping them apart and tearing out their intestines, wearing them as turbans. And if you're going to claim, quote, I believe the women, well, you should probably believe Madame Roland here because she's a female witnessing all this and she was enamored with these Enlightenment principles herself. And eventually the revolutionaries came for her because she was a Girondist and they beheaded her. But alas, the modern feminist might say she deserved it because apparently she wasn't really as much of an advocate for political rights for women and believed that they should have a modest role in public and political life. Perhaps that's why she was beheaded, because she didn't agree with all of the equal rights for women. And of course, when you don't do that, you deserve to be beheaded and then have your head paraded about like it's a trophy. So back to Freddie the Great... These are the people who are born for society, at least in his idealistic way of thinking at this time. And despite the bold confidence of these Enlightenment philosophes proclaiming that they are fighting tyranny, superstition, oppression, and crushing the wretch of Christendom, well, they seem to have a lot of doubts in their own writings. So Voltaire one day reflects, that doubts encompass us round, and doubting is a disagreeable state. Is there a God such as he is said to be? A soul such as is imagined? Analogies such as are laid down? Is there anything to be hoped for after this life? And so thus, he doesn't even know if he believes his own philosophy or not. But at least the ones fighting for Bourbon, Catholic, France, and Christendom apparently went to their beheadings singing songs of joy and embracing martyrdom, like the Christians of old. People would call that crazy today, but some might call the Enlightenment principles crazy that lead to such destruction. So let's get into some more intense quotes about crushing the wretch, which is what Voltaire is applying to the idea of Christendom, which will be crushed. And of course, is the point of the intro of the show, to resurrect the wretch. And he's going to use Mr. Julian the Apostate as his model for doing this. His inspiration, if you will. And on page 21, 
Voltaire gives his reasons for tolerating the Socinians, which were a theological group who denied the Trinity. And it seems that they're sort of a Unitarian, Arian-type, Protestant dissident sect. And of them, Voltaire states he will tolerate them because, quote, Julian would have favored them, and Voltaire hates what Julian hated and despises what Julian despised. So that's a little gem written from Voltaire to Mr. Frederick. And we know that good old Madame Blavatsky loved Julian the Apostate as well, and talks about him being initiated into the mysteries, and apparently he went through these courses in Neoplatonic magic, and that's what he was trying to bring back to his empire, and trying to crush the wretch of Christianity, hence why Voltaire is probably so enamored with him. He also worked with the Jews to try to disprove Christ and say that the temple could be rebuilt, and then there was a miracle of sorts to destroy the temple when they attempted this, but of course, people always attribute it to natural causes. And Mr. Voltaire will continue to praise Julian the Apostate in his letter to Mr. D'Alembert, writing that England and Switzerland were overrun with men who hated and despised Christianity as Julian the Apostate hated and despised it, and that from Geneva to Bern not a Christian was to be found. And then Frederick chimes in, and he writes with equal joy, In our Protestant countries we go on much brisker to advance this agenda that they are inspired by Julian the Apostate to participate in. And in his time in Geneva, Voltaire likes to woo the Calvinists and bring them to the side of philosophy, even though he thinks they're completely stupid. And he even writes that the fooleries of Jean Chauvin, or Calvin, are not even found in his hometown in Geneva anymore, except for but a few beggarly fellows who believe in the consubstantial, that is to say, those who believed in Christ. And taking it from Protestant Calvin to the Church of England, he says that the English truths are reigning supreme, and in London Christ was spurned. So the Ouroboros of the Protestant Reformation is shedding its skin into a new form, and Barowell gives us an example of Voltaire inspiring the former Protestants to leave their religion and come into philosophy, and he gets a letter from the Landgrave of Hesse, and we talked all about in the Pike Templars series how these Landgraves of Hesse or Hesse Castle cause all kinds of problems for Christendom, and that the OG landgrave backed Luther and Philip, and then later on, William the Ninth lets Rothschild into Europe, so they're loosing the beast of usury. And then a lot of these landgraves the Nazis will appeal to for Aryan pride, so the Hesse-Castle landgraves do not have a very good historical tradition in terms of being the most noble of sorts, at least on the whole. And here we have one of them specifically succumbing to Voltaire's Enlightenment Masonic deism, saying, I don't like Calvin, he sucks, and Luther, though, you know, he's not so bad, he didn't persecute, and he only loved wine and women. So somehow Luther still seems to be cool. They don't like Calvin. And so what's interesting is that Voltaire prefers to use the Huguenots, or the Calvinists, the French Protestants, as proxy warriors, and he says they're more useful because they are not less mad than the Sorbonnes or the Catholics, but that they were raving mad. And he saw nothing more ill-tempered and ferocious than the Huguenots, so he wants to use them to attack and destroy Catholic France. And so again, this is the proxy warrior method, where you're jabbing the Protestants to attack the Catholics, and it's a Masonic deist manipulation, right? And Barrowell says that all this pretended zeal of the conspirators to Calvinize France was but a preparatory step to unchristianize it with greater ease and expedition. So it's way easier to unchristianize a nation when you have Protestants roaming about and Catholic power being destroyed. And this is demonstrated by D'Alembert writing to Voltaire, quote, For my part, I see everything in the brightest colors. Already I behold toleration established, the Protestants recalled, meaning back in France. 
The priests married. Married priests. They're pushing for married priests. Interesting. Confession abolished and fanaticism crushed without its being perceived. So we've done all of this. We brought the Protestants back into France. We've gotten confession abolished and priests are marrying. And they don't even know that we did this. It's not perceived, right? In other words, they're getting away with putting groups together that are going to fight and kill each other so they can get into power. But alas, it's all in the name of the goddess of reason and liberty. So I guess it's fine if you want to let people murder each other if it's for equality, right? That's pretty much the cry of the democratic West. And financing terrorists to cause regime change and install an IMF puppet to attach to debt slavery in Middle Eastern countries. And perhaps even more hypocritical or infuriating to some would be that all of these cries are always about the people, right? The lower class, the common everyday man, there to be exalted and deified in this equality. But alas, in their own writings to each other, it's a very different story. For Voltaire writes to D'Alembert, quote, both you and D'Amelioville, another adept, must be well pleased to see the contempt into which the wretch has fallen among the better sort of people throughout Europe, meaning the aristocracy is adopting the Enlightenment principles. They are all we wished for or that were necessary. We never pretended to enlighten housemaids and shoemakers. We leave them to the apostles. So, in other words enlighten all of the monarchs and the people in power to our philosophy. And we're not going to do any of that for the housemaids, the women, right? Or the lowly shoemaker. They don't deserve our esoteric wisdom. Only the aristocracy we're trying to manipulate does. And perhaps we can convince them to preach all of this amazing enlightenment and equality of which we're not going to give the housemaid, but make it seem like we will. Hmm, does that sound like the political system in America making a bunch of promises to poor people that never get brought to fruition? Well, now you know where it comes from. And continuing on this theme, Voltaire writes to Diderot and says, quote, Whatever you do, have your eye on the wretch. It must be destroyed among the better sort, meaning the aristocracy. But we may leave it to the rabble for whom it was made, or when, in fine, he writes to D'Amelioville, I can assure you that in a short time, none but the rabble will follow the standard of our enemies, and that the rabble we equally despise, whether for or against us. Wow. So the rabble, the lower class, the poor people, they're made for stupid Catholic religion. They will follow our enemies and their dumb doctrines of Christianity. And that rabble, we equally despise whether they're for or against us. Think about this, people. I don't give two shits about the lower class, whether they're promoting Enlightenment principles or they're promoting Catholicism. That is what Voltaire is saying to Mr. Diderot. And yet he's still deemed a hero for liberty, equality, and, quote-unquote, the people. And you can read that yourself on page 23 in Jackie's... Memoirs of Jacobinism edition in the Anti-Christian Conspiracy. So Protestants and liberal traditional people, you are being used as proxy warriors to attack and destroy Catholic Christianity. So even if you don't agree with Catholic Christianity, do you want to be marionettes on the strings of adept Masonic puppet masters attacking it with a fanatic zeal in order to, quote-unquote, crush the wretch for oligarchs who don't give a shit about you. And at the least, maybe you should realize that Catholic Christianity is not your enemy in this, and they have been actually trying to expose this to you for centuries. So maybe you should turn on your puppet masters instead of the ones trying to tell you who the puppet masters are, even if you don't agree with their general philosophy or religious system. So let's go through some other gems, and in the next chapter, chapter 3, Barwell talks about their coding system, and he sort of deciphers it, whereas T stands for tyrant, meaning the tyrants of the Catholic aristocracy, the archons in Gnosticism, if you will. 
And we will read here one of my favorite quotes in the whole book, which is an instruction of Voltaire to D'Alembert to spread to the other adepts. And it's, quote, The mysteries of Mithra are not to be divulged. The monster, i.e. religion or Catholic religion, must fall, pierced by a hundred invisible hands. Yes, let it fall beneath a thousand repeated blows. So the mysteries of Mithras of which Julian the Apostate was initiated into and of which Freemasonry talks a big game about and of which all of the astro-theology folks in the truther world promote and the zeitgeist movement promotes. Well, here is your mysteries of Mithras in action. And ironically, they will complain about the usurious debt slavery system, but these are the principles which allowed it to come into fruition. So you are just being swallowed up in the Ouroboros, eating your tail, when you're trying to say that Catholic Christianity is really Mithraic worship of Mithras, yet you have the people conspiring to destroy Catholic Christianity, praising Mithras, and that is one of their inspirations of crushing this monster of the old world Catholic empire. So perhaps you might want to rethink promoting that viewpoint because you're just a proxy warrior for New World Order oligarchs. And whether you agree with Catholic Christendom or not, the New World Order system is playing you like a fiddle to promote the zeitgeist version of Christianity. So here's another gem. Barwell says, In his character or chief, the mysteries of Mithra, they pronounce it or write it Mitra as well as the intrigues of the conspirators, could be of no small concern to Voltaire, and the following were his secret instructions. Quote, Confound the wretch, i.e. Catholic Christendom, to the utmost of your power. Speak your mind boldly, but when you strike, conceal your hand. You may be known, I am willing to believe there are people sufficiently keen-scented, but they will not be able to convict you. Hmm. Speak boldly, but conceal your hand in striking and attacking Catholic Christendom so that people who are trying to convict you of crimes won't be able to. Does that remind you of liberal politicians today where they talk a big game about progress and that we need to get away from the dark ages, but when they actually attack those enemies, which they are boldly proclaiming to be against, they do it in secret in criminal ways and they try to do it so no one will be able to convict them. And that is what Voltaire is telling his disciples to do. And that is from a letter to Mr. D'Alembert. Then he writes to a Mr. Helvetius and also de Viviel. And he basically says the same, quote, The Nile is said to spread around its fertilizing waters, though it conceals its head. Do you the same, and you will secretly enjoy your triumph. So now he's appealing to Egyptian wisdom and iconography as the Masons do and say, be like the Nile and conceal your head, but your fertilizing waters for philosophy will be spread throughout the wretch's kingdom. And of this, he says, we embrace the worthy knight and exhort him to conceal his march from the enemy. So march on Christendom and crush it, but don't let anyone know you're doing it conceal this march from them. So basically, make bold propaganda against Christendom, that's fine, but when you do anything that's really going to hurt it and destroy it, again, something illegal perhaps, then don't let anyone know what you're doing. And Barwell comments saying that no precept is oftener repeated by Voltaire than this, strike but conceal the hand, other than crush the wretch. And he does this so well that he even denies his own literary works. For the philosophical dictionary of which he was a part of, he denies it in a letter saying, I know not, says he, why people are so obstinately bent on believing me the author of the philosophical dictionary. The greatest service you can do me is to assert that I had no hand in that hellish work. So he has to deny it as a hellish work in order to attack the wretch in secret. So basically he's lying. And that is breaking the commandment of not bearing false witness. And if Mr. Freddy thinks the Ten Commandments are so lovely and amazing, despite him conspiring with Voltaire to destroy Catholic France, 
Why doesn't Freddy chime in and be like, Voltaire, you're breaking these amazing commandments. But of course he doesn't do that. Rules for thee, not for me. And in fact, Barwell says on this same page that Frederick not only approved of this secrecy of which he cites a letter between them, but we shall see him playing off all of the artifices of a dark policy to ensure the success of the conspiracy. So he'll provide that later on. But a little below that, it also makes a Masonic connection when he's writing to Mr. D'Alembert once again, stating, quote, Oh, my philosophers, we should march closed as did the Macedonian phalanx, which was only vanquished when it opened. Let the real philosophers unite in a brotherhood like the Freemasons. Let them assemble and support each other and let them be faithful to the association. Such an academy will be far superior to that of Athens and to all of those in Paris. So basically, even though we're not officially Freemasons, let's just be exactly like them. And we know that Voltaire was finally initiated into the sect a little before his death. But of course, if any of his quote-unquote adepts would dissent and question these subversive tactics of which he's inspired by the Freemasons to do, he writes to them saying, quote, Ah, my poor brethren, the primitive Christians behave themselves much better than we do. Have patience, do not let us lose courage. God will help us, the God he doesn't believe in, provided we remain united. So it's funny how he is probably appealing to somebody who's a little too attached to superstitious Christianity and questioning the moral behavior here. And I find it strange that Voltaire even admits that the early Christians behaved a lot better than he's doing with his Enlightenment philosophes. But then he appeals to God, right? Oh, God will help us. He never gives you the definition of God, but that usually is good enough for most people. Well, guys, the Masons talk about God. There's nothing wrong with that. They're Christian, right? Or is that just the pragmatic aspect of it to give a veil of Christianity when this is the type of stuff that's actually going on and perhaps they're attacking the real Christianity of the Catholic Church? And they have no problem using Protestant rage to do so. In fact, we have Voltaire writing to D'Alembert, trying to unite and reconcile with any atheists, deists, and Spinozists to unify into their party to attack Christianity. And then Voltaire starts chastising his adepts for not being zealous enough, perhaps like the Calvinist Protestants, but still be secretive in destroying the wretch of Christendom. And he says, quote, I fear you are not sufficiently zealous. You bury your talents. You seem only to contemn or attack while you should abhor and destroy the monster. Could you not crush him in a few pages while you modestly hide from him that he falls by your pen? It was given to Meliger to kill the boar, Hurl the javelin, but hide your hand. Comfort me in my old age. So now Voltaire is a bit older, and he's still up to the same old tricks. But since he can't be as zealous as he once used to be, he's chastising all of the others around him for not being zealous enough. But still, when you try to attack this monster of Christianity, make sure you hide your hand when you throw this javelin, and so they don't know that you were the one who threw it. Lovely. But then, of course, some of them get a little too zealous, and now he reneges, and he writes to D'Alembert that in this war they are waging, they were to act as conspirators, not as zealots. So people, think about this. Barwell is deemed a conspiracy theorist for saying that there was a conspiracy to destroy Catholic France by Enlightenment philosophes amongst some other groups. And here we have Voltaire in his own words, people, saying that, okay, guys, stop acting so zealous, even though I told you earlier to, and act as conspirators. He is telling them, he's instructing them to be conspirators, i.e., there is a conspiracy that they are completely admitting here. So I don't know how blind you have to be to not be able to admit that there was a conspiracy involved in fomenting the French Revolution. They might not have known the results of it, 
but they're certainly engaging in all of this stuff to destroy Catholic France. And Barwell is exposing it, yet everyone's calling him a conspiracy theorist. This is just absurd Stockholm Syndrome, and perhaps why people like Abbe Barwell have to be attacked so vehemently by Freemasons, Jews, Protestants, liberals, and half the time they will project a conspiracy onto the Catholic Church and the Jesuits. So here's Barwell, a Jesuit, revealing to you that there are Masons trying to destroy Christianity, yet the Protestants say that the Jesuits are evil and pagan and have nothing to do with Christianity. And speaking of the Jesuits, of them, Mr. Voltaire says that when the Jesuits and the Jansenists are battling and duking it out, Voltaire is very happy because he would, quote, willingly have seen all the Jesuits at the bottom of the sea, each with a Jansenist hung to his neck. So, Voltaire wants all the Jesuits to die and be at the bottom of the sea. Now, people say, oh, he's just being poetic, right? (laughs) Well, look what the revolution led to, the beheading of tons of conservatives. And it was the Jesuits who were expelled through a bunch of Enlightenment propaganda. And the problem is the Jesuits were the only ones that knew how to deal with the subtlety of the serpent, so to speak. And that is why Voltaire and his conspirators will peg them as their number one target to get rid of, as we'll see here. And you can read all about it in chapter 5 on the extinction of the Jesuits. And much of this is the doing of Frederick the Great coming up with a plan that resolved on the destruction of the Jesuits, which was the first step towards dismantling the church and effecting the destruction of her bishops and of her different orders of priesthood. So they're trying to take out the queen on the chessboard, so to speak. Now this is a very complicated affair, so we'll save all of that for the memoirs series in the members section of the Schism 206 research at rockstaresoterica.com. However, we will try to summarize and give the relevant quotes. So Mr. Voltaire sends a letter to a Mr. Marmontel, revealing that the Duke of Choiseul is in their pocket, so to speak. But he's going to seem like he's against him. And this is a facade. Because Choiseul wants to get rid of the Jesuits, but he's going to allow them into education because they have a plan to try to destroy them first. And then from that, all of the other religious systems will crumble. Because they're the smartest and know what's going on behind the scenes and will be the ones first to alert Christendom of these types of shenanigans. So they got to get rid of them first. And again, hence Barwell being a Jesuit exposing all of this with very obvious proofs. So they're not supposed to oppose this Duke, even though sometimes he might seem to oppose them. And in the quote-unquote truther world, we know this as controlled opposition. And even Frederick the Great called them the, quote, lifeguards of the Pope. Now, apparently, this battle between the Jansenists and the Jesuits, of which they hoped to devour each other, wasn't as effective as they wanted it to be. But they also got some added help with the propaganda from their encyclopedia. At least that is revealed by Mr. D'Alembert when he says, quote, You are perpetually repeating, crush the wretch. For God's sake, let it fall headlong of itself. Do you know what the Ostrich says? It is not the Jansenists that are killing the Jesuits, but the Encyclopedia. Yes, the Encyclopedia, which is their creation. And that is not unlikely. This scoundrel Ostrich, who's some dude, I don't know who he is, is a second Pasquin, and sometimes says very good things. But I, for my part, see everything in the brightest colors. I foresee the Jansenists naturally dying off in the next year after having strangled the Jesuits this. I foresee toleration established, the Protestants recalled to France, the priests married, confession abolished, and fanaticism crushed, and all of this without its being perceived. So that is hearkening back to the previous letter, But Barwell is giving us a fuller context involving the strangling of the Jesuits. 
So, point being, the Jansenists are proxy warriors. They will promote them when they're battling with the Jesuits. The Calvinists are proxy warriors. They will promote them when they're battling with the Jesuits. All of this is to get the Jesuits expelled from France or destroy them by whatever means necessary. And thus, d'Alembert smiles and writes Voltaire, quote, The laugh is no longer at the side of the Jesuits, since they have fallen out with the philosophers. They are now at open war with the Parliament, and they find that the Society of Jesus is contrary to human society. This name, the Society of Jesus, on its own finds part that the order of the Parliament is not within the order of those who have common sense, and philosophy would decide that both the Society of Jesus and the Parliament are in the right. So this is very clever. D'Alembert is saying, yeah, the Jesuits are at open war with the philosophers, and this is contrary to human society and the people in Parliament who have been seduced by these ideas, because remember, they admit that they are targeting the aristocracy with the Enlightenment deism. Well, that is turning them against the Jesuits. And it says that, quote, The evacuation of the College of Louis the Great, the Jesuit College at Paris, the one Blavatsky complains about, is of more importance to us than that of Martinico. Upon my word, this affair is becoming serious, and the people of the Parliament don't mince the matter. They think that they are serving religion, while, in fact, they are in reality forwarding reason without the least suspicion. They are the public executioners and they take their orders from philosophy without knowing it. So really think about this. D'Alembert is gloating to Voltaire that the Jesuits are starting to be turned against by the aristocratic Bourbon society because they're succumbing to the Enlightenment deism. But regardless, they are just tools of these quote-unquote adepts such as Voltaire and D'Alembert because they still don't like them. They're giving them the exoteric shtick, if you will, where they're trying to say, oh, all of this masonry is still Christian, and the Jesuits are the evil ones that are trying to manipulate you, right? It's the exact opposite. They're projecting everything they're doing onto the Jesuits to get their own to turn against them, and then later on, once they realize what happened, it's too late because all of these people have usurped everything and gained control. And the encyclopedia is one of their number one propaganda tools, which they previously mentioned. So they are gloating that the aristocracy of Catholic France is under their thumb, and they're turning against the Jesuits, who are the actual target of these Enlightenment philosophes. But then, of course, the Jesuits sort of make a comeback before they're expelled. And this kind of freaks D'Alembert out, where he says, quote, Philosophy is on the eve of being revenged by the Jesuits, but who will avenge it of the other fanatics? Pray God, dear brother, that reason may triumph even in our days. So think about this. These guys that don't really believe in God are praying to God that the Jesuits don't triumph because they say, who of the other Catholics or religious zealots can put up a fight against us? It's only the Jesuits that can prevent us from doing what we're trying to do. So do you see the problem with the quoting Jesuits with Freemasons and calling them the same? It's just absurd. And you'll find the Illuminati doing the same thing, hating the Jesuits, conspiring against them, and doing all these clever, sordid things to try to screw them over. But people call the Jesuits the Illuminati. It's just so absurd when you read this book. And if anybody is telling you that Barwell's book says that, they just don't know what they're talking about. In fact, D'Alembert hates the Jesuits so much that he gets upset at Voltaire feigning gratitude towards one of these former Jesuits, and he immediately writes to him, quote, Do you know what I was told yesterday? Nothing less that you began to pity the Jesuits, and that you were almost tempted to write in their favor, as if it were possible to interest anyone in favor of people on whom you have cast so much ridicule. Be advised by me. Let us have no human weakness. Let the Jansenitical rabble rid us of the Jesuitical, and do not prevent one spider from devouring another. So Voltaire, don't even try to be nice to the Jesuits. What are you doing? Don't show any weakness. Don't have any mercy on our enemies. 
Let these Jansenists destroy the Jesuits and devour each other like the Ouroboros serpent of Saturn worship that they claim the Jesuits to be, and so many people in the truther world claim them to be as well. But who's the real Ouroboros serpent devouring itself? And that is none other than these Enlightenment philosophes. And here is a great example where D'Alembert is getting really pissy at Voltaire for even faking niceness to the Jesuits. But remember, all of this Enlightenment masonry is the gospel of tolerance, right? Tolerance for all except the Jesuits and the Old World Catholics. And there's much more in this chapter we could elaborate on, but I wanted to get to some other quotes before the end of the first hour. So if you're interested in going through this more extensively, you can come and sign up for the membership, and the Barwell Memoirs series will be releasing new videos on a weekly basis. So, Mr. D'Alembert saying to Voltaire, I find this one interesting, quote, If mankind grow enlightened, it is because we have used the caution to enlighten them by degrees. And he's referring to the encyclopedia and its propaganda to do this. So they are slowly going to indoctrinate people into their philosophy through the encyclopedia, and this will enlighten them by degrees, just like in Freemasonry. So they're basically going to try to make everybody Freemasons. And of course, the French Revolution is the Big Bang coming out moment where everyone is just a Freemason and thus you don't need the lodges anymore until Catholicism takes back over and tries to suppress the Masonic Revolution. And so it's back to secrecy. But once Catholic Empire and the Jesuits are destroyed, then Freemasonry is completely out in the open and it's just what everyone believes and that's no different than the Bavarian Illuminati, except for they are a more leftist university-style version of it. But of course, that's pretty much what most everyone believes on the left in America today. And then, of course, they invent the Enlightenment buzzwords to attack Christendom by calling it prejudice, superstition, fanaticism, tyranny, bigotry. There's many, many words they use over and over and over again and ironically, the Protestants use them all the time, but look who they come from. People who think that the idea of Christ is superstitious nonsense, but they admit that the Protestants are their proxy warriors. And you'll find that exactly the same in the Bavarian Illuminati when they appeal to Protestant Jesuit fear porn in order to bring the Protestants into the occult masonry. So it's really amazing how all of this manipulation works and the Protestants are some of the worst proxy warriors succumbing to the manipulations by these puppet masters. Obviously, there are Catholics who are duped, and that is part of the parliament and aristocracy here, but it is the Jesuits who are not duped, yet they are the mortal enemies of the Protestants. Funny how that works. So again, we have Mr. D'Alembert repeating in a letter to Voltaire about how if mankind is so much enlightened today, it is only because we have used the precaution or had the good fortune to enlighten them by degrees. And this is where you get the gospel of liberty, equality, fraternity that says that Christianity is a slave religion. So that comes from the Enlightenment. You hear that all the time, especially in the alt-right circles. But ironically, the alt-right attacks the quote-unquote degenerate left, which is based upon the same Enlightenment principles. And again, is that the point? It's stemming back to pagan philosophy, pagan materialism, and the worship of Julian the Apostate, who worked with the Jews to try to discredit Christianity, despite the alt-right tending to get pretty pissy about the Jews in most cases. And of course... Wrapping up, Condorcet's progress of reason speech might be fitting, where he says that the adepts wish to extol the glory of their chiefs, and they will represent them as perpetually reclaiming the independence of reason, meaning going back to paganism, and devoutly expecting those days when the sun shall no longer shine, but upon free men acknowledging no other master but their own reason i.e. man is God and he will dictate what reality is. And I think that we are seeing the culmination of that in America today, where it's do what thou wilt, invent your own reality, and if anyone argues with them, you call them a fascist or a bigot, 
and trying to drag us back into the dark ages of Catholic Europe. But of course, it is perhaps those dark ages which are trying to illuminate you, maybe even by degrees or maybe in one concentrated dose, that this is all a ruse to put you on puppet strings and make you a slave to your passions and sins, and that in order to get out of that, Maybe there is an objective reality, despite having to believe in some sort of supernatural revelation of it. You can take with that what you will, but I would say be very careful getting overly enamored with all of these ideas of liberty, equality, fraternity, in whatever left or right paradigm, if the synthesis point comes from this rebellion that destroyed Catholic Bourbon France. To gain access to the second hour, head to www.rockstaresoterica.com and become a member to gain all access to all content at all times. Or to purchase individual episodes such as this one, head to schism206.podbean.com.